All right, welcome to another edition of Mike Checker. I'm with my guy, man. Like this is this is this is a special one, man. This is this. I mean, this this like this is my fr- friend, friend. Like this is like a, like my real <laughs> homie. So this is gonna be dope. Another St. Louis River High graduate. I mean, like I said, this just adds on more to how dope our high school was, um, and in so many different ways. I mean, the brother went from being a helicopter pilot officer, captain in the military to uh, matriculating all the way through Anheuser-Busch from being just a plant manager guy, the guy that just is like, hey, count the bottles, all the way up now to being the diversity and inclusion coordinator for, not in coordinator, like vice president, president, I mean, direct, I don't even, you just have head of direct head of diversity inclusion. There you go. I mean, it's it's like five other people that's like above him in the right. whole company. Like that's it. Right. Like the bucks is as a great uh, Harry Truman says the buck stops here. The buck stops uh uh five more people before, before John, but it's great to be five more before the buck stopping to be ahead of that. Yeah, it's been a journey, have, man. Man, dude, I'm glad for you to come on, man. This is this is a treat for me, man. Uh in so many ways. But let, let's jump right in. Um what like what your background? Where are you from? Like where where you are? I mean, people in general they see that you you know I'm the diversity you know uh, uh, the head of this yeah oh, like, you know, like, you know oh, he's crazy. from Chesterfield I, he's from uh, 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 Rockwood Summit High School or something along those lines like let, let give the background of where you from and where you yeah at. So, so here's my story. Um, and, and, and keep I in mind, every, I'm every, keeping your product branding going well. I already yeah, you know, yeah. I started my happy hour. I appreciate early. it. I need that stock, man. I need that stock. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people assume just because of, you know, executive in the company, uh, you know, where I live at and everything like that, like they assume that, oh, he must have had a little, little spoon in his mouth along the way or, you know, a golden ticket, so to speak. But no, man, I'm a North Side guy. Um, I grew up on the North Side. Um, you you, if you know the city, you know Shreve and Carter. Um, I literally grew up in, in that uh, in that neighborhood, the Penrose neighborhood. Um, lived there basically my whole life. Um, my story's not too unfamiliar to most people. I was raised by my grandparents, uh, you know, uh, which was which is a blessing and a curse. A little more strict. No, I know. You know, end. I know. You know, I know. My grandma raised yeah, me. Man. I already know. <laughs> man, more strict on one on one side, but then on the other side, they gave you life lessons and perspectives that that uh, I probably, probably couldn't have got if I got, you know, I live with my mom full time. So, um, you know, that's kind of where I, where I lived and I grew up. Um, like you said, man, I went to, I went to SLU. I actually wanted to go to Cardinal Ritter. Like that's where all my I mean, that's where was. everybody kind of wanted to go. That's where everybody wanted no, to no, go, let's right? Let's even go back farther though, man. Like, cause you went to St. Engelbert. Which the is Engelbert, like, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. like, and people, that's that's an old school thing, the neighborhood Catholic school. That that doesn't exist right. anymore. Where you just go to the, if you didn't go to a public school, yeah, it's a like focus the, school now. Like it's like combined neighborhoods, right? So it's so is, is St. Engelbert still open? So now it's called like the St. Louis Academy. I think it went to like uh, first was like St. Elizabeth School or something like that, and then it got got uh, changed to. Um, um, to St. Louis Focus Academy, but it was like four, three or four different schools in the city that like merged. Like it was like a Bishop Healy uh, got merged, Bishop like uh, Healy, all the way on yeah. King's Highway, you know, that kind of stuff. So a bunch but, of them got merged together. What's so funny is that may, is that the only uh, uh, Catholic school on the North side now? Man, I don't know. I because don't know. what's so funny is I was talking to uh, Teddy, I, 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 I mutual best friend. We're tripping off that, uh, you know, Aquinas closing uh, Trinity. There's no 
uh, high schools uh, north of 40 anymore that are Catholic, besides Cardinal Ritter. Cardinal is the only school that wow. is the only high school period north of, basically north of, let's say, uh, Martin Luther King, high wow. school-wise. Yeah. So you got to think, back in the day, we had Rosary Aquinas. <laughs> you know, you got to think, we had Rosary Aquinas, all these different right. places out, yeah. like, more north. No, no more. That's gone now, man. So you got the idea that that's still not... I don't even think there is no other Northside uh, Catholic schools. I mean, yeah. Corpus Christi's gone. You got to think about all those mm-hmm. other things, you know, those schools that we grew Ascension. up in. Ascension's yeah. gone. Yeah. Yeah, so that I was basically a product of, you know, that kind of environment. And then, uh, uh, like I said, I wanted to go to Cardinal Ritter because that's where everybody else went. And my grandfather was, was uh, you know, kind of pushing. He was, he was really important in my life, but he was – he was like, I think you got to know how to, and I'll just be frank, like, you got to learn how to interact with white people. And uh, right now you've been around majority black people and you know the culture, you know, um, you know how to influence them and things like that. But when you get into the corporate environment, at some point, you're going to have to cross over and be able to interact with them. He was like, I think you need to develop those skills at an early age. Um, so I went to SLU, which is its own, man, it's a... Uh, I mean, I, I don't even, I, I want to, I know for sure it was like less than 10 minorities, you know, that went to the school, but, but now having to navigate through, uh, you know, man, I wrote a paper, I swear to God, it was great. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then somehow I get like a C or a D on it. And I'm like, man, and then, uh, you know, talking about grandpa's and he looked at it. Right. Cause that was during the day where like, yo. Your grandparents marked up your paper before the teacher yeah. marked up your or, paper. Or I, on me, I didn't have no computer or, or nothing. I would I have to rewrite it, write my paper early, and then give it to my aunt to go type at work for me, and then oh, wow. bring it back to me. Yeah, yeah, man. So I, <laughs> I, I remember. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I remember that whole you know kind of scene, but it, it was dig- like I got exposed to, like here, here's what it feels like to not be fair. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not fair. And, uh, and then I started networking. I was like, hey, man, what'd you put on your paper? What, what did you put in there? Going to teachers and, and saying, you know, taking a, taking a high road and say, like, I really appreciate, you know, your feedback and things like that. Like, what would have made this better? You know, and then like, look at a corporate environment, like, that's how you do that all the time, right? Yeah. Um, you, you, gotta, you gotta understand, like, uh, what, what will make my stakeholder take my idea? You know, essentially what I was doing in high school, right? So did that whole jam and then, so no 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 uh, I, 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 I want to stay there for a second man I want to okay, stay there for right. a second because we you, you my boy so I got stole we got stole right, you know right. what I'm saying so <laughs> so this because people would be like hold on man y'all boys that went to high school together like how you ain't gonna tell so I, I I'm gonna go back John Ship was a cornerback for our our high school squad and I'll never forget like I like I was I was like a part of the team but not on the team like I was like in the crowd facilitating man, with yeah. black people like like I was like look here. The, all the black people were doing this. I'm like, yo, watch out for my boy right here. He I was like, y'all about to see his show. <laughs> so uh, we were, yeah. we played at the Dome against Hazelwood East. And John Ship has been put on Reggie Germany. Reggie Germany may not mean anything to a lot of people out here now. But this brother ended up going to Ohio State and then played in the NFL for like three or four years. This is high school, folks. This is, <laughs> this is, so you got to think this guy was, Ohio State, you can look him up. He's got online stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can still look it up. And 
that uh, John was on him and he proceeds to get worked for a whole yeah. game. And he did. You want me to tell you what my actual strategy was? Like after like the first play, after like the first play, I was like, okay, this dude's this dude's definitely a, a step above me. Now I ran. I was pretty fast in high school. Yeah, so you so were really speed with him, but it was, yeah, but it was like, like I ran a four three. three you know, like I ran a four three. So in well, high wasn't school, like a six. Wasn't like six three or six four though too. Uh, on paper, he was a six two. Okay, six two. Yeah, okay. You know, you wear the cleats. Yeah, six three. Whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But uh, but yeah, like after the first and second play, they didn't even throw it to him. But I was like, yo, this dude got a different breakaway speed. Um, <laughs> so my strategy at first was, I'm just gonna jam him, right? I'm just gonna like hit him, bruise him. I'm gonna make it so your quad muscles hurt. You know, so you ain't gonna be able to run fast. And the dude was juking me like in within five yards. Like you think you about couldn't it, like, get the jammer. You couldn't even jam. I couldn't get the jam because he juke me in the first five yards. You know, so the whole game, man, I was just uh it was kind of embarrassing, but I was just like the whole game, I was just like, let me just make contact with this person, <laughs> try to throw them off their route so they don't get a touchdown every play. You know, like if you just if I gotta take a yards, flag, I'm taking a that's flag. A success, you know. <laughs> You know, but but yeah, that was that was tough, man. Uh, and then even with the punt return, which was hilarious, the whole the whole situation. Yeah. So oh man, this is all, like so actually, like. Go ahead, go ahead. You can explain. Yeah, this what actually happened, man. So so again, like in practice, could nobody a slew hang with me on a, on a punt returns, right? Nobody, right? I was just too. I was just faster. And then I remember um getting ready to go out there i had my little i had like practice this little dance thing and, that thing, and, and people understand though we're, we're the black the kids are, but this is the thing though john people understand we're the black kids it's maybe only 30 of us in the whole school we're playing right. all black schools so we like anytime uh, we, play any sport, we get out. up for we get up for that like okay i'm gonna shut this ain't playing uh saint mary's this is playing right. hazelwood east this is you know it's girls out here this it's on so you yeah, already yeah. like oh i'm gonna show out <laughs> Yeah, so I went, I went out there with this like little swagger thing. And then uh right when the guy was about to kick off, the ref yells at me, yo, chin strap loose. So I'm like fiddling with my chin strap, and I'm like trying to do this after the ball's in the air, and like a half a second I lost the ball. So I'm like, <laughs> where the ball at? And next thing I know, the ball is like above my head. I'm like, oh, snaps. So I'm like running backwards, trying to get the ball. It, it just was a disaster. Uh, so the next the next time, um, so that one, ball goes out of bounds, coach yelling at me, whatever. The next, um, the next play, I was like, I'm not going to let the ball get over my head. So I scoot way back, like way up. I mean, I was, I was like, I mean, I was almost in the end zone. And the dude like squib kicked it and like, <laughs> The ball bounces like 20 yards in front of me. So I'm like running, trying to get it, bounces way up my head. Coach ended up pulling me out. He's like, you ain't ever returning. I actually didn't return punts or kickoffs for like like six or seven games after that. <laughs> he was so mad at me. Even though I was like clearly the fastest guy on the team, right? Like uh, he was like, no, nah, I ain't. Uh, you, you're not. Yeah, you're not doing that again. I think the first time I got to do a, um, a uh, punt or kickoff return was against Chaminade. Right. And I had uh, it was a nice little record for a second. But, man, there's some classmates, uh, classes behind me, man. They they was like getting like 
102 yards. Yeah, returns. like rest in peace to rest in peace it to uh, Willard. Mine out, you know? Yeah, rest, rest in peace to Willard, man. He uh tied Mr. Clark's record uh for yeah. that 99 yard kickoff return. Yeah. And uh, the whole thing, Mr. Clark, he said and he said he said I ran up there to make sure that he didn't uh, break my record. Right. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, he's like, I didn't care about the game. I don't want to see if my record was broke. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, man, so like you took that that opportunity and was football what fueled you even going to Missouri State? Oh, it was Missouri State now. It yeah, was it, was, it was literally. So I had I had a bunch of like D3 school options, uh, a couple D2, and then I had um, two Division One options that we're going to pay for. Like I got... I was getting like offers to walk on at you know a bunch of schools. Of course, but yeah. as far as like schools to actually pay for school, I had Iowa State and I had Missouri State. Now they like totally played me. So go to Iowa State, pretty clear. They're like, you're gonna do special teams. That's what we want to bring you in. Maybe by the time you're senior, you'll get some clock in some other positions. But for immediate future, special teams, like you fast. You quick, like that's what we want you for. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm good at other stuff. Like, <laughs> you, you see my tape, and then they're like, yeah, we got somebody for that. This your role. Um, and then Missouri State, I went there, and now that I know this, like you're not supposed to go certain times of year. I ain't know none of that. Uh, I went there, and it was a blast. Like I was like, yo, this is this is phenomenal. I want to go. Like all these people, this game, um, like the stadium was full. It was it was like. I can't remember exact uh, the exact week, but it was like it was like essentially homecoming, right? That is like one of the only times that stadium is full <laughs> was the weekend that I went. So and I'm that's how they like, do you on a recruiting trip. Like, like, yo, man, this is dope. I'm I'm going here. The coach was like, yeah, we, you're gonna we you think you'd be a starter for a year, maybe register, but definitely um, you know be a starter here. We see you as a as a key to us, you know equation. So it was all in my ear. Uh, hindsight, I should have went to Iowa State, and then we'd have been kicking it though. We'd have been. I kicking know, it. I know, man. But of cyclone, but uh, yeah, I said I did Missouri State because of the school that they said like, hey, we'll um, we'll do uh, we'll give you a football scholarship, and then uh, to supplement my room and board, I had to run track. So I did football, and then track was the was uh, I did during the spring, and then uh, the track didn't last long. I uh, it was actually in practice. Um, they was doing little drills where you go like, and then the next people go up to the line. So I was in the last heat of dudes, and then behind me was the first heat of females, and uh, um, they blew the whistle, and uh, and I run, so I got like three second lead before the first uh, first heat of heat of women. Michelle Baptiste <laughs> is in the heat behind you're, me. You remember you remember her name on the top ball, oh, oh, dude. Dude, so we were supposed to be going 90%, right? And I'm like running, but I'm trying to like pretend that uh, that I'm not running my hardest. I was actually running my hardest because I'm running, against, I'm running like all the dudes from Barbados, right? Like I'm running my hardest, but I'm like trying to make my face look like I'm not. I'm like, I'm 100%, supposed to be 90%, 100%. She caught me with like a three second lead. We were running 300s to practice for the 200. I ran a 200 and a 400. Um, I had like a, a lead. And she said, on your left, which is what you say in Forest Park with somebody going around you. So I kind of like go like this and I see her threw off my entire cadence. So then it looked even worse because I could never catch back up to her. Yeah. So I quit that day. Yeah. <laughs> the day I went to the coach. I was like, no, 
Oh, and it was, uh, it was also like, I was trying to lose weight because it's football to try to buck you up and in track to try to lean you out. And uh, so I felt like I was starving anyway, but I was like, yo, if I just got hawked, there's no way that this is going to work out long-term. So I just stick with football. So yeah, that's uh, um, the, the football was a means to get to the school. It wasn't like they had a degree program that I really loved. And that's why I went there. It was really just a means to an end. So like, so how does it, you transition from football track to joining in the military and becoming a captain and, and, and that, and becoming a, 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 a yeah, helicopter it's a cra- crazy story, man. Like, so at the time I was doing uh, pre-physical therapy slash cellular and molecular biology, like both of the programs were pretty, pretty, uh, pretty close. So my degree is in cellular and molecular biology with minor in chemistry, but like the physical therapy one is like literally parallel minus the anatomy and physiology course, right? So my grandfather was a physical therapist. So I like, wanted to do that. But then I also was like, I kind of don't want to work with humans, you know, so stick me in a zoo or something like that. Like that's kind of also what I wanted to do. So I was taking that track. And then uh, um, my grandfather didn't come to one of my football games. And I, uh, I was like, oh, that's weird. We had a bye week. So I drove back home. And then I, uh, when I showed up at the house, he had lost like 50, 60 pounds. Wow. Like, and between, between the game he came to. But with, yeah, it was, yeah it, was, it was probably like, it was probably like a month since I seen him, but it was like the first home one that I knew he probably could make. Um, and he had lost like 50 some pounds probably. And uh, so I went home, saw him and he looked like real skinny. I'm like, hey, what's going on? He didn't want to tell me, but he had, he had um, uh, lung cancer. So he had had prostate cancer first. They thought they got it. Then he got bone marrow cancer. Um, they thought they got that, but then he ended up getting lung cancer. Um, you know, it's just a, you know, cancer just sucks, right? Yeah. So he ended up getting lung cancer. So it was pretty fast. So from the time I found out to the time he actually died was maybe two months. And I just wow. did not handle it well. I didn't know it was that fast when your dad passed. I mean, our granddad Yeah, passed. man, it was super fast. Uh, I think he knew longer, but you know what I knew, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't very long. And, um, I just remember, you know, him, uh, him having one of the last conversations with me, he was like, you know, you're going to be the patriarch of the family. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm 20 and I'm like, patriarch, what? <laughs> you know, like, he's like, you can be a patriarch of the family. You know, like I need you to you know, be focused on making sure you can support your grandma, your mom, your sister. Uh, you know, people are going to look up to you. And I'm like, man, I'm trying to chase girls. And now you give this all on top of me. So it was a, it was a little bit of, a, you know, I just, I, I just was trying to process everything. Uh, I skipped, a, he died. I skipped a couple of practices. I just, like I said, I wasn't handling it right. And uh, I showed back up to one of the practices uh, after just being MIA. And coach was like, what you think you're doing? And I'm like, I'm going to practice. And he was like, you, you walk out in a job you're going to lose your job and get fired. And he was like, I've talked to some people. I understand what's going on. He was like, well, part of my job is teach you life lessons. So uh, pull me your scholarship for now. And as you know, assuming, assuming uh, you, know, you put in the work and all that kind of stuff, then, then we'll reinstate it at the, end of, at the uh, beginning of next, next semester. Well, I didn't really have an option to cover my costs, right? Yeah. So it was actually one of the first times I ever drank. I was always pretty outside of church, you know, um, <laughs> it was uh, one of the first times I actually drank and uh, that I was watching one of the commercials, man. It was like hundred percent tuition, see the world. Oh, you know dang, you got caught up in the, uh, the dog. It got me. I went to the recruiter at like 6 a.m. That next morning? 
the next morning, yeah, the next morning, like 6 a.m., literally walking to the recruiter, and I'm like, give me whatever's going to give me 100% tuition, pay any student loans, and give me a sign-on bonus. And they're like, are you okay? And I was like, I just need you to sign me up for whatever. Like, I'm not, not, and I'm not on a death mission, but I just need you to sign me up for whatever. And it was like, combat engineer? I was like, what's the money look like? It was like, we'll give you $10,000 sign-on bonus. I was like, sure. So literally <laughs> signed up um, to, be a, to be a kind of engineer, supposed to blow up stuff. And uh, it didn't set in for like, maybe like two weeks. I was like, yo, I just joined the army. <laughs> like, I'm like, yo, like, this ain't no go backwards uh, yeah. kind of deal. But yeah, that's, it's, no, it's no like, I saw something on TV and was inspired to, to join because of ABC. No, nah, I wasn't none of that. I got, I got tipsy and uh, walked in recruiter's office and it was the best worst mistake I ever made. To be Why honest. do you say it's the best worst? Well, I think at that, at that particular time, I was probably going to start spiraling because I was just, uh, I was caught up in the situation and not just locking it in and doing what I need to do. So um, um, I didn't go to boot camp until the end of that semester. And they did a program where, because they knew I was in college, they said, you know, you take off a semester, you go to boot camp, AIT, whatever. And then uh, since you got college credits, you can potentially become an officer. So uh, that January, I left for, for boot camp. And in boot camp, you have no room to feel sorry for yourself. Mm. Like there's zero room to feel sorry for yourself. So I instantly got into the mode of, hey, I need to excel, which is kind of how I was wired anyway. I got in the mode of, hey, you need to excel. You put me in leadership positions. I think a little bit because I, like physically I was pretty strong uh, because I just got out of football, right? Yeah, like you, I wasn't, you, you I wasn't struggling like a lot of people to do pushups, right? So uh, physically I was strong. And then I think, uh, you know, I, I could call Cadence. You know, we used to we used to rap. You know, uh, <laughs> in the back of the back car, going to mixers and stuff like that. Like, it came in handy, bro. I was like, I hear you calling. They was they was like, what? Caucasian. So yeah, man, that's how uh, that's how I got into the military. And uh, so you took off yeah. a semester. I didn't know you took. Off. I thought you did more ROTC. No, so I took off. I literally took off a semester. Did boot camp AIT. I was in the National Guard one week a month, two weeks a year. The dude that was uh, that was kind of my he was my platoon sergeant didn't get along with him at all. Was trying to tell him like, "Yo, man, you need to do it like this. You need to do it like this." Him and I started butting heads, and he was like, "Well, you as an officer, you can tell me what to do, but you ain't. So get out there and clean that toilet, or right, go out there and dig that hole." And I was like, "Man, I remember going to my the the commanding officer. And I was like, "Yo, how can I become an officer?" And the whole reason was I wanted to tell him what to do. <laughs> So he was like, oh, you know, you're supposed to. to so your, whole, your whole thing right now is a comedy of errors. Like, like this is a comedy. Like, yo, I just want, I just don't want. Yeah, the, the, the reason wasn't like some great, you know, like, yeah, it was like a, like, oh my, that's so inspiring. No, it was, it was very calculated kind of a, kind of a, kind of a weird deal. But, but yeah, he, uh, uh, he got on my nerves and I went to the, one of the officers and I was like, hey man, I want to go to this OCS thing. So I'm be an officer. He's like, ah, you know, they don't really take privates. You got to be in for a while, whatever, whatever. I was like, well, then get me out of the army. And they're like, well, this is not the way it works. I was like, I'm pretty resolute. Either get me out of the army or send me to officer school. They were so annoyed that I was, I was telling them, like, this is the options you have. They say, you know what? We're going to send you to officer school. When you fail, then you're just going to go over here. And you know me. Like, I, failure is not an option in no. my book. You so wait I actually went to, I went to OCS. 
like right after that. And uh, hard, hardest, like literally hardest 12 weeks of my life. And uh, Is it, was it physically or like what, why was that the hardest? So phys- physically, um, you know, everywhere we went, we ran. Like you didn't, you didn't walk anywhere. You had a 40 pound rucksack on your back at all times. When you did, when you did classes, you did classes standing up with a backpack on. I lost 40 pounds. It was actually 10 weeks, 40 pounds in 10 weeks. To go into cafeteria, you had to do 10 pull-ups and 10 dips with a 40 pound rucksack. So like if you got five, they said, okay, ship got you down for five, go to the back of the line. So you end up losing weight and all kinds of stuff, man. And, um, uh, so anyway, yeah, end up, uh, getting through that and, uh, became an officer and, you know, finished out the school deal. And then, uh, so, so officer worked. training school officer training was harder physically than boot camp was. Oh yeah. And everybody that's an officer training had already been a boot camp. So if you think about it, they already, it's the next level. Right. Um, so that was definitely one of the, the hardest military trainings I did. And then I, once I became an officer, I still stayed with the national guard. They actually put me back in that unit. They moved as sergeant, by the way. They moved. Oh, so by the time you got back as an officer, he was already gone. No, he was still there. He was still there. And then it was kind of like the, hmm, hmm. Oh. Oh. (laughs) So, yeah, it was like, it was like three or four months later, um, I'm coming back as an officer. And they actually put me in the same unit, which was a mistake. Um, they're assuming that you mature enough to not have, and you're like, you know, dude, I'm only 21 stuff. years old. I'm petty nah, as hell. Not me. I, I was actually 20. Oh, was that, you, so you, but you petty as hell though at 20. Yeah. Petty man. Petty. So yeah, I was, I was, I was told that outside of civil war, I'm one of the youngest officers ever to be commissioned. So it was, it was before my 21st birthday, um, commissioned. Right, because in general, even if you went to the army Academy, to if you went to West point, you would still be 22, 23. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I tried to, after I graduated from, um, from college, I, you know, I tried to get a regular job at, I was working at the zoo for a minute, but then like everybody was like missing a finger or a calf muscle was at half eight off. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, so they trying to have you out there feeding the lion. Alligators, bro. Alligators, dude, I'm in an alligator. First off, it ain't too many brothers is in that kind of profession to begin with. So in my head, I'm just like, yo, this is going to be a BET skit. Like, I could just see it right now. I remember being in an alligator pit, like, scrubbing, like, the little pool that the alligator's in. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's weird because they actually don't really move. They just kind of sit there in the sun and, like, they almost look, like, dead. Um, so I, had to, I remember walking into the alligator pit. Um, they got the pool. And uh, um, I had to, like, pull out the plug, drain the water, and then scrub the little pool from all algae or whatever. And then put the plug back in, add my water. And I remember walking in there with my little boots on and alligators not moving, they all on the side. And as soon as I, I fell, it was like a big splash. Then like, like all the alligators slid in the water, bro. And I'm like, oh! And uh, this like, is my last was day. With clarity for me, I was like, oh, it's only a matter of time before my foot get ate off or something. So yeah, that's when I decided to go active duty after that. Oh, so because wow, so how long were you at the zoo? How long were you at the St. Louis Zoo? Like six months. Oh, wow. So you was like that, 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 uh, the alligator thing was like, you know what? I really yeah, yeah, shot at the Yeah, get it bitter. was like for real. Well, I went, I went in my head, I was like, yeah, it's not gonna be that bad. I mean, the war was going on, but at the same time, like, I knew Cassa didn't get deployed. So I was like, I like the army. It's cool to shoot the little green targets all the time. <laughs> um, 
uh, I had gone to, uh, so after I graduated, I actually, um, uh, they sent me to an engineer course. And while I'm in the engineer course, you know, training, more training on blowing up stuff, right? Uh, we did this exercise with aviation and we was out there for like 20 days, no shower, like hot, sucked. And uh, we did this like big, like kind of fake war thing, blowing up stuff, whatever, helicopters come in. And at the end they had a little barbecue and one of the other officers that was a pilot, I was like, hey man, where y'all been sleeping at? Like we been sleeping in these little tents, where y'all been? It was like at the Clarion Suites. I was like, oh, they were in the suites? Yeah, man. So I was like, you know what? I'm in the wrong profession. Went to my office, commanding officer, and I was like, hey, man, I think we want to do aviation. And he got all mad. He's like, oh, you want to be a fly boy? This is what it really at. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't want to be near mosquitoes anymore. So I'm done. Um, and it was it was a weird timing thing because a lot of, like, the, the war in Iraq was really like, amping up. Um, it was even bigger than it was before. Uh, Afghanistan was really hot. And a lot of the Vietnam pilots uh, were, were trying to get out of the military. Like they oh, were, so was, there were still pilots from Vietnam still? Vietnam still in. They were like in their 60s. Yeah. And so I was going to say like, damn, you'd be, so they were like, they were barely in there. Yeah, they were like, like late 50s, early 60s still flying. Um, wow. And uh, I mean, think about airline pilots. Yeah. yeah it's not uncommon, right? Yeah. But I was thinking um, combat but, pilot, though. That's what I'm thinking, like... Exactly. So most of them was cool with being a pilot in the Army when you just flying the governor from here to there, or... Are you, you know, dropping off Are you dropping off people, bringing them over, like, oh, I can ex- do that. Exactly. But when you switch into combat, they're like, deuces. So it was a huge drop in the, uh, in the uh, volume of, of um, uh, military pilots that were Vietnam pilots, like, dropped, like, like we lost like 40% of the pilots in the army. Wow. So they were like, if you, if you can, if you nice on the controls and sticks, we'll, we'll try it out. So it was like, they had like simulators and stuff you could do. And we played video games my whole life. So <laughs> it was like super easy for me. And uh, I signed up for flight school. I was in flight school within like a month and a half. Yeah. So it was, how, it was, how long was the normal flight school? Flight to, to get in was normally like two year wait list. Oh shoot! But because of the because of the flux, because of the immediate gap they had, because everybody was getting deployed, like people were getting orders to go overseas, and they're like retiring. <laughs> they're like, okay, we're going to the next one. Retiring. Like so, they were they were basically there was no stop loss, um, so it wasn't at that point yet. Uh, but a lot of people, when they got orders to go overseas, they was like, yeah, I'm retired. I'm out. So I got in flight school super fast, which was cool. Uh, flight school was was uh, like a year, amazing opportunity. Um, uh, did really well. Finished like I finished in the top two in my class, and then they got in my ear and it was like, man, you'd be. I can't believe how good you're doing. You'd be an outstanding maintenance test pilot. So they got all in my head, and I'm like, yeah, I am good. So the next thing you know, I'm in maintenance test pilot school. And uh, what is a maintenance test pilot for people that may not know? What so is there's two things. Either you test the aircraft that has been, um, has gotten like a new engine, new hydraulics, new whatever, you test it out, make sure it's flyable. Or it's a scenario where, um, where an aircraft was shot down and you have to decide, are you gonna recover it or blow it up in place? Those are the options, okay. right? So here I get this, get this training and then I go over to Iraq and now my job is to make, I'm like, wait a second. So you want me to get that thing that's already shot down 
and they already know it's there. You want me to go recover that and bring you back? They're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was like, dude, they got me again. Yeah, man. So that was, that was pretty, uh, pretty crazy year. It wasn't a ton of those. But so, uh, so, I mean, so would you, did you show up and you like, man, we, we can't do nothing, no boss. Uh, we're on our way back. This one is really down. <laughs> you know, to be honest, uh, there was no aircraft we had to like actually blow up. Um, okay. But, uh, but yeah, there was a couple of times I was like, I can't believe you're going. Like uh, there was a down aircraft outside of Ramadi, right? And I'm like, dude, that's a hotbed. I'm not trying to go back to Ramadi and recover an aircraft, but. Uh, so is it because you had the, the demolition experience already? Is that why they put you there? Because. No, it was just because I was a test pilot. Yeah. Oh, wow. Was just okay. a test pilot. But for the most part, you know, like when I was in Iraq, it was, I flew missions. So at nighttime we'd go, we drop off people that were located here and put them there. Um, if there were dignitaries that came in town, like ambassadors, man, I, I flew so many ambassadors. Um, it wasn't like that they autograph. Yeah. Uh, you fly ambassadors, they do a little, you know, hey, I was in Iraq or a senator or something. They stayed for like 30 minutes and then went <laughs> back home. But they got a little photo op. So did a bunch of those. But then I had actual combat missions too. Um, so you was black all down out there. Yeah, I had, I had a total of 110 combat missions, which was crazy. Like, so, like, 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 how was mentally that for you being over there, seeing all that uh, going on there? Like, are you so separate because you're kind of, because you're up high? Yeah, in the air. Um, so, so, to be honest, like, the first, like, three months, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it was hot, but all I did was fly little coolers, like a cooler of blood or plasma. I flew from this hospital to that hospital. So I didn't really feel like I was in danger. And then um, March 10th, uh, 2006, that was like the first, my house got blown up by a rocket. Um, and like, I just left, like I just left. That's when it like started clicking in. <laughs> and after you got about three months in country, you start actually doing like actual um, flight missions where they actually shooting at you. So it started to get more intense, you know, the more I went in and uh, the longer I stayed there. And um, I think I was able to rationalize most of it. The, the one the parts that I did not process very well was when kids were involved. Like that part bothered me because I was in my head. I'm like, dudes shooting at each other. It's war. Right. Yeah. Like it, you can rationalize it. But whenever kids were involved in some kind of way. Uh, I mean, there was one kid that I could swore he was like giving us information. He was like, we called him General Rayad. I don't know his real name. We called him General Rayad. I think it was Rayad was his name, but we called him General Rayad. And we would take our candy, throw it on the fence, give it to him. And the little kids would be like telling us stuff. And it's in Arabic, so I have no idea what they're telling him. But he was always like pointing at, you know, this area, and like, you know, bomb, boom, you know, like doing one of those things. And I was like, I'm pretty sure he's trying to tell us they'll be shooting from that spot over there. They're bombing us here. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, like one 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 day we went out there, the kids weren't there, and they had hung the kid. Uh wow. We heard, we heard it was because uh the kid had been getting up intel on the insurgents that were in a vision a village that was nearby. So like stuff like that bothered me the most. So that it was a, all the kids are just that one kid, or was it like a group of kids? It was there? just one kid, yeah. So my my assumption is is that. Other kids was like, no, nah, no, nah, it's him, you know, yeah. and they were trying to make an example of him or something. So, yeah, hey, so that's, just, that's the part about war that, that I was not able to process very well. So I knew after that incident, I was only going to be doing one tour and I was going to explore getting out and doing a different profession. 
So when I, once I finished that tour, so I was over there uh, close to 12 months, um, total time away from family about 18, but actually in Iraq about 12 months. And uh, once I got back, I was like, man, I need to try something different. And uh, I tried to get a job at the Pentagon and told me I was, I was too young. And I was like, yes, that's age discrimination. Like we're the government, don't try that. Yeah, we don't um, have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like whatever. Uh, it was like for an engineer aviation liaison. And then uh, uh, I was kind of frustrated about it. They were, they were sending me to Guatemala um, to do a humanitarian mission. And uh, I was, I came to St. Louis. I think I saw you that, that trip too. Yeah. But uh, I drove past the Anheuser Bush and they had a big thing up under the Budweiser sign that says military recruitment event. And I was like, man, I should put in an application there. I ain't changed nothing on my resume. It looked like a military resume. I just literally pushed sand. And as luck would have it, they gave me a, gave me a shout and then, uh, you know, kind of rest is history. But they, so, they so, gave me so, a- let's, 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 like I said, So did you ever go to Guatemala? Yeah, or? I still went to Guatemala. AB actually held the position open until I finished the appointment. Wow. Okay. Cause I was like, you did go to Guatemala. I was like, I, I thought you left. I thought you would left. That's what I was like. I was like, yeah, they, they basically treated it just like, you know, like we do recruitment. You offer, a, you know, a student a job in October, even though they don't graduate till May. It was right. basically okay. kind of the same kind of deal. Yeah. So you, so you, 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 you see the AB thing, man, I'm going to do that. It, it was, you know, literally your life has been a comedy area. So you just literally just saw it, it was like, I'm just going to apply. It wasn't right. anything yeah. that really like pulled you of like, is, and, and well, that's the I, thing I about knew, I knew, um, I knew someone that worked there. Um, so you remember Diana Hill, like yeah. she worked there and she was talking about it. I knew a couple other people um, um, that worked there. So I heard about, you know, like, Hey, they, they're a pretty good company. And then in general, if you live in St. Louis, you know that's a solid company. I mean, they got yeah. flies, they run around the stadium and all kind of every every and, and, and all the people that don't know those the, the African American the uh, the African Kings uh, calendars and all that. That's yeah, all that's, yeah. like we used to get those early before all y'all even <laughs> we said every yeah. black barbershop had them. Yeah, so so I knew it was a good a good. Y'all company, need to bring that back too, though, John. I need y'all need to bring that back. You know. That's, that's actually a good idea. If we do it, I'll... I'll, I'll no, I'm dead. I, I got, I, I got, like, y'all need to bring that back, man. I need to bring the African Kings. And you need a select man too, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, so y'all in there, so you get in and you're like, so they, what, where did they put you at? Why did, what, how, you just put in a random resume as a military. What do you do at yeah, AB? Helicopter, as a, yeah, exactly. You're a helicopter um, pilot. Right. You know, like, well, I mean, do you need me to fly a uh, beer to, you know, is that what you're thinking? Or like, what are you thinking that they're even? <clears throat> so I applied to the lowest manager position they had at the company, which was like, they called it a group manager. Um, so you just manage a group of people. Right. And uh, so my resume, it says cellular molecular biology. So like, ah, maybe brewing. And I get in that interview, they talking about fermentation science and all that. <laughs> I'm like, like Nope. And I was like, I kind of think y'all basically like, like, you know, kind of boil the stuff and then you like, you add some yeast to it and then whatever. Uh, but I just like remember that from a tour that I did when I was like 12, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, everybody went to, went to it as a bush like, it was like for a field trip or something. So I really didn't really know that area. And then they took me over to the uh, production area and, uh, and it, that's where all the machines are that put, uh, you know, beer in a bottle, a beer in a can, beer in a keg. And that one, that area was pretty 
easy for me to visualize. So as they're like kind of talking me through it, because I was a helicopter pilot, I had to know like how machine runs. I knew about drive trains. I knew about timing. I knew about metering. So I was actually able to use similar lingo that they that they knew about. And they were like, oh, you could do production. And you know, like how many people have you managed? I was like, well, the unit I'm in charge of right now is about 250. And they're like, oh. I'm like, how many would I manage here? They're about like eight. I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, we're good. So they actually brought me into um, to the production environment where they make the beer. And uh, and I kind of took the approach of like, I'm gonna. I'm going to run the group like I ran the military. And in the military, it wasn't like, I'm the boss, you listen to me. It was very much like, hey, we work on a team together. Like in a, in a helicopter, um, you know, just because I'm the guy flying, the guy in the back says, hey, sir, I hear something kind of weird sounding back here. It sounded like something coming loose. You're not going to be like, I'm the man in charge. Like, sit back there, talk when I tell you. You're going to land the helicopter because you're about to crash. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. So I created that ecosystem where, hey, man, what, what do you think we need to do to, to get more production out? I'm like, man, I told the last man, he listened to me. I'm like, well, I'm a new one, so let's try me, you know? And uh, so we ended up breaking every single production record in bottles. So I was in bottles first, broke every single production record. And, there was, and it was always on my, my team, right? So then they moved me another area of like, ah, fluke. Moved me another area, broke every single production record. Moved me to a different department broke every single production record. So I started making a name for myself of like process optimization is kind of the, the wheelhouse and then fixing things is kind of the other wheelhouse. So I ended up moving up the ranks in operations and maintenance. They shipped me out to Colorado. Uh, so I ran our operation out there. You came out and visited me. Yeah, yeah that? we kicked it, man. Yeah, ran the operation uh, uh, out. Uh, shout out to Roy Robinson. The, the front door is ajar. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, dude. Oh. Front door open. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Five minutes later, front door closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> we'll leave that one for, for, for a beer discussion. Yeah, yeah, no, anyway. no, 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 no. That's all good. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so I ran the operation out there. And then um, um, I had like people from like China, Belgium, like all come out to, to Fort Collins. Like, man, how? Because we, we literally were rated the number one operation in the globe so 155 so why, why, why is it in fort collins though like i'm interested in why that enters which is yeah, so so i had the i was at the at, at, by the time i moved out of fort collins i had the autonomy to kind of do things like i wanted to so i could i could hire my own team i could you know decide what types of machines i wanted i got to set my own budget like everything was all like you know there, there was no there was no boss so to speak that i had to report to i was accountable for operations and then, and I kind of created the uh, created the group like I wanted to. Uh, we had let's see uh, four can lines, four bottle lines, and uh, a keg line. I think I think that was what it was. But anyway, so I was able to like move production schedules. So people were like, "You're getting more beer out in the same amount of 24 hours than every other plant in the world." So what are you doing different? Yeah. A lot of it was like you know, just this process optimization of schedules. Um, my maintenance routines were a little bit different. It was kind of model off of here's how we do it in the military. And then from a development standpoint, uh, you know, my, my style, I tell everybody everything, you know, matter if it's real estate, no matter if it's whatever, but I, I believe it. you give people information and then people will, uh, will be a multiplier for you versus you having the, all the knowledge and everybody give you credit, but 
but your team doesn't succeed as well either. But uh, that was kind of my, my swagger. And that's why people came out and visited. And uh, because of that, they ended up moving me back to zone. Uh, so I let our strategy make sense. Right. So yeah. I let the strategy yeah. for, for all the breweries and, and camp plants uh, and uh, in North America. So Canada and the U S and then uh shifted to learning and development, like, man, you're good at this. It should be learning and development. Then I took on a role in Canada um, uh, as the, uh, in charge of all HR for all the breweries and, and plants up there. And then uh, just moved me back to, to the U.S. again, um, now in charge of diversity and inclusion. Basically, every company after George Floyd has to have diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inclusion. we going we, 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 to we go back a little bit before we go there. So what do you attribute like your success to be able to even matriculate through those what was like your key thing of like yo i did this this and this or i understood this or i, I opened myself to, to this to be able to get through these different phases yeah so for me it was pretty clear like here are the defined measurables that you're measured against you know like there's here's a key performance indicator that you have to deliver by the end of the year so I always knew what those were. I think a lot of times people do all these projects and everything and, and maybe they support those, those top things you're supposed to do, but people get distracted really easy. So for me, my approach is what are my key deliverables that I'm accountable for this entire year? That's what, that's the first thing I always look at. Next, I always look at what's the engagement of my team. So if they're frustrated or they're not happy or they're not whatever, they're not going to work as hard to deliver those particular um, results and then building the right team is is probably the next most important thing. So I, I usually try to get people that are smarter than me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I think like some people have an ego where they say I'm gonna hire people that that are similar to me or you know we got kind of the same um, swagger. I actually use a different approach. My approach is always to to select people that are different than me or people that have a strength in a different area than I do. So they're going to tell me when I have a blind spot. So if my mind is focused on, hey, I want to do X, Y, Z. I'm ready to go. If I get a whole bunch of Daryls and Roy's and Teddy's and, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't have somebody on the side in my ear like, hey, y'all think about this, though. We might we might get jacked up if we do this. <laughs> if you don't have that that type of person on your team, you're not going to succeed. So I was, I got really good at building. Are you sure fruit punch beer is going to work, uh, John? Uh <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you know what, though? You know what, though? Like, like Strawberitas was invented because we had a black person on the team. It was like, yo, when we. Uh, when our artists is some different. that the Weez the one that came up with that. Like, yo, y'all better get some flavors. I guarantee you a pop. It, it actually was people of color. Like, that's like, uh, I think the woman that was in, her role, in the role at the time. Um, she was of, um, of uh, Indian descent and a lot of her friends were black. And that's how she was like, whenever I go to barbecues and hang with them, they always taking something, putting a red solo cup and mixing it with some stuff. <laughs> I really think we need to get away from regular loggers and try something different. Uh, so yeah, man, it's, there's, a, there's a big beauty in diversity. So it's, it's interesting, man. It's so crazy that you're in this position. Uh, I know you remember, I don't remember when I was in DC, and we had an incident going on with our high school, like a, a racially charged incident. And we were, we, you know, we put, everybody put the bad signal out. So everybody's all like, what's going on? What's going on? And I remember me and you talk. I remember where I was. I was walking down M Street, walking to uh -oh. my conference. And we were talking, you were saying like, yo, 
they're pulling me in on these different other things. And this is May of 2019. And you were like, yeah. they're pulling me in this thing. And I won't go into the incident you were telling me about, but you were like, they're pulling me on these different initiatives and things that's going on. I don't know. That's you was like, man, I don't know. They bring me in a lot of extra little work though on these different things. He's like, but I know I need to be there. But it's like, damn, I do got to be making sure these bottles get out too. But I need to be yeah. over here too. It was that the beginning of it. I mean, when we had that conversation, was that the beginning of it? Or yeah, yeah. So at, at that time, I was uh, over HR in Canada um, for supply and logistics, and uh, and it was a U.S. kind of you know stuff was going on, and uh, uh, I, I believe that the company saw me as a trusted advisor in the black community that was also a partner. So I'd already made partner in the company years and years ago. Like I made, I made partner AB in like six years. So I was a trusted partner that they could come to and say like, hey, I, I got to ask you a question and it's between us, right? Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What about this initiative? So I think that because I was a tr trusted advisor, I was starting to get pulled into those things that were outside of my scope of responsibility. And to be honest, I do think that because they they saw how to navigate that situation. They began to feel that I think they already knew it was important to have a role, but then they were also apprehensive about the who. Like, do you get a person that's purely an activist and doesn't understand the business side, or do you get a person that's you know really good at the business side, uh, but but it's kind of tone deaf on how is it going to land with the communities? So it was really hard to find a person that had both. Um, so I think it was kind of a a little bit of luck, you know, that, that incidents happened that I got pulled in. But then as I started doing particular, uh, being basically a consultant on particular issues, I think it kind of spoke the role into existence. And then, you know, the rest is history. So so with, with that, with, did you see that, like, okay, this is something that we need? Or were you like, oh, y'all really want me to do this? <laughs> like, Yeah, so I actually was like, like, man, the person y'all put in this role really needs to do this, they need to do this. <laughs> I'm like actually giving action items for whoever this is. So it's, it was and similar remember, to Mr. Clark when he said he was with the, when they had that group before they made a diversity director and like, yeah, the person need to do this, like, no, you gonna do it. <laughs> you yeah, exactly, exactly. I was, I was man, so I'm, I'm telling them like all the all the qualities you need to have, someone needs to know this and need to know that. They're like, yeah, yeah, writing it down. It was like, and ship is you. Um, so I actually did not accept the role in the very beginning, like there was probably like a three week delay on me accepting the role. And, and part of it was one, I wanted to understand what I was getting myself into. And you got to imagine like um, there, there's not a lot of, of senior diverse talent in the organization. Um, I have a very favorable impression inside the company. Uh, and, and right now this is you, you basically um in this space someone's not going to be happy mm -hmm. like that's just it's just that's just the nature of the space so part of me was a little reluctant not because i didn't think it was a good cause but i also was you know looking at my career done a lot of great things and i didn't want to you know tarnish that reputation uh but then the other side of me was like man i, I have a i'm not really um you know no I mean, i'm not just like at the table but i'm the the head speaker at the table yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I ended up deciding to take it. I gave them a couple of parameters of here's the things that are non-negotiables for me. If, if you all don't think that, that you all want me to do this in the 
uh, in the role, then, then maybe you need somebody else. So I gave them the non-negotiables and, and, uh, and they said, yes. So I was like, dang, I really can't get out of it. <laughs> you just thought I'll step <laughs> you know? hope, hopefully they say no. And I'll be like, I'm just gonna go back to where I was at. I'm yeah. Just- <laughs> so man, but it, to be honest, it's been great, man. I think, uh, we've got to make some positive change on things. It's tough because again, um, you know, you always got people that don't understand the journey and, and they'll kind of look at it like, man, it's, it's reversing, um, meritocracy. Um, other people saying meritocracy doesn't work. Meritocracy is dead. It's a, it's a myth anyway. So you got all these different terminologies and viewpoints and everything. And I'm like, man, I can't even say, say diversity, right? You tell me, no, nah, you can't have diversity, you have inclusion. Oh, you can't have equity unless you have inclusion. Anyway. So, so yeah, it, was, it feels almost like an impossible role sometimes, but I always ground myself to, as long as making progress, uh, you know, you really can't be mad. You know, that's, that's the way I view, you know, my, my, my life, my, my job, that's the way I view, you know, my real estate investments, like everything I, I've done, I've always said, as long as I'm progressing forward, um, how can you really be upset, um, you know, in progress? So what, what is the thing, the, the, this, is, this is a two-part question, but what is the two things you've learned I mean, what, what, what have you learned about working in this field and what is being in this position challenged you with as well? So basically, what have you learned from doing this position and what has been the challenge? Like, yo, like, OK, I didn't even know that was a challenge. Yeah, so I think I think uh, anyone that's of a diverse background probably knows the the trials and tribulations within that community. So I felt very comfortable understanding what are the challenges of a black man? and be able to talk about that authentically, you know, in an organization. So I have strategies geared towards uh, people that are black, right? Um, my wife is Hispanic and also an executive in a company. Like, so I know here are all the got, things. Got, that, I got this at the side too. So I got, yeah, I got, I got, I got this the on the side, people. right? Like, <laughs> like she always talks about like, um, you know, broken ladder or broken rung. Like I know there's a way to move up but either la- the ladder's either broken or there's a rung on the ladder that's broken. And so I had that in my, in my head is here's some things I need to think about for women and for uh, uh, people that are Hispanic. But then you start to get into other spaces. Like I don't know a lot about um, you know, people with disabilities. So how do you make that equitable? I don't know a lot about people that are in the LGBTQI community. You know, so how do you talk about that authentically and what do, how do we need to support as a company for that? So I found myself, um, same thing with Asian. I don't have a ton of, um, of Asian friends, so I don't know a lot about their story, their trial, their tribulations, the things that are important to them, what are the moments that matter um, that, that we need to focus on. So um, that's probably the hardest part is, 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 uh, is learning all of those different community issues and then figuring out what's a strategy that, that either my role or the company can support on. Um, and the thing that I probably did not expect is I did not expect that the toughest critics of everything they were trying to do were actually people that are underrepresented. Mm. So like, the, like sometimes the toughest critics of everything that we're trying to move forward, like it's progress. Um, the toughest critics are, are people that are black. Like, like this yeah. is the first time ever we recognize Juneteenth as a holiday in our company. And then the backlash from that was like, man, you took too long. You know, it should have been done years ago or we just did it because of Biden or, you know, whatever. So um, that's the thing I probably didn't anticipate um, that, that I've had to kind of work through. But 
So I have everybody a, that's off, important has to deal with tough stuff. This, this is a question from me and something I need from you. I need those biggie, uh, those new biggie cans or, or whatever y'all have. I need one of those. The ooh, biggie. Ooh, ooh, yeah, man. Now, how do I get one? Well, I'll pay for it. Every, I ain't got no problem. Everything that's like a promotion is hard to get, man. We trying to make every dollar off of it. Yeah, I'm trying to get you. I one. will pay for it. I just need to know where I do. I got to go out to Brooklyn to go get the biggie. Yeah, it's usually by Pac. Or, oh, you know, so, so literally, so you can't just even make a call like, yo, I need a biggie pack. Yeah, I mean, I have to get it from Newark. Wow. So you have, you have to go it. call. You like, have to like they, didn't, they didn't make like a Nelly can and sell it in California. Gotcha. The Nelly cans were just for St. Louis, you know? So so you'd have to call the Newark plant like, yo, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some on your books. I want to buy two cases of the Bicky cans. Well, I, I wouldn't pay for nothing in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I mean, I don't, I don't yeah, want yeah. to say it. I want to try to say you didn't yeah, 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 yeah. I was trying yeah. to be diplomatic about it. Like, you know, I'm yeah, putting something yeah, on your yeah, books. Yeah. It's not like going to jail or something. I'll put something on your books. Like, right, right. <laughs> I don't know how the process is. Bro. I'm just saying. But so it's not like you could just be like, oh man, yeah, the Bicky can. I'm going to go around the back and go get it. They're producing mm-hmm. the Bicky can straight out the Newark. Point. In that, in that area. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. a lot of stuff is very regional um because we want to we want to connect with consumers in that area right so not that big, biggie's a bad example because biggie's big everywhere yeah but uh but you know you you want to connect with consumers in that area as, as much as we think nelly is is uh is amazing not every single in montana like we wouldn't be able to sell a can in Montana, right? Like, probably like, no, oh, he might cool. sell in Montana though. Like he has these random weird random spots. Like, man, he, like, like he he'll sell out of Montana for some weird reason. Let's say like right. he has a weird demographic setup. If you like research yeah. his like demos, you'd be like, so he's big in Idaho and sold out like two shows of like millions of people. That's like, true. That's true. Yeah, you just don't know that you you never know. I mean, the number numbers are everything with it. So, what do you say is the thing that cha- that got you the most in uh, overall with your career, not necessarily how you matriculated through AB, but how you matriculated from being a dude on the north side of six hour all the way to being the uh, the head of diversity and inclusion. You know, to be honest, I think um, I got to a point. My grandfather used to always say, uh, um, get comfortable being uncomfortable. I swear to God, I thought he invented it. And then like, it's everywhere. Like, and then, like, and then you saw like the real person that yeah, like, I saw a real, yeah, I saw a real quote. I'm like, in college, I'm like, wait a second, that's, that's the same thing. Um, yeah, so, so he used to always say that when I was, when I was younger, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think about like, like, man, I went to a different school that was not with all my friends. I had to figure out a way to get comfortable doing that. Um, you know, I, I, I did a different profession than the profession that I had my degree in, right? Helicopter pilot versus versus being a cellular molecular biologist, right? Um, in in a production environment versus a military environment. Um, I, I think uh, even outside of the work stuff, I mean, you know, I do real estate, yeah, and uh, you know, I was super nervous about about starting to buy properties and, and things like that, and. And if I if I look at those, what's the root thing that I that I changed in myself is is I allow myself to say everything's not going to be smooth, everything's not going to be like easy. You just got to get comfortable being in a space where you feel a little uneasy. And and I what I found is that feeling of uneasiness has typically given me the best reward. 
you know, and uh, um, you know, I remember my first real estate deal, I saved up money for four years to buy that fraternity house. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, but I remember I remember signing a paper and it only takes a second for the wire to go through, right? <laughs> wire goes through. Boom. I, I did four years for this, but it's a second for the money to be gone. And I literally, you know, go in on my phone, look at my account. And it was gone that fast. Like it was like pending. And I remember that just being so, I was just so nervous about it. Not that I, not that I would suggest that you, that you don't, you know, don't, don't, don't focus on ensuring that you, you mitigate risk. I'm not saying that, but uh, I got to a point where I've, I've learned to be okay with, with having little butterflies in the stomach and, and that real estate deal ended up turning into, you know, great money. I actually just sold it last year. Um, um, I bought, you know, um, beach houses. You and I have been talking about, like, yo, I got this idea. I just want to buy, like, all these beach condos, and then we can all be neighbors <laughs> and raise the prices. I remember having that conversation with all y'all. And y'all was like, man, shit, I don't know. And I was like, man, I'm just going to do it, right? <laughs> um, so uh, uh, I think a lot of it just is being comfortable being, or being comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, super cliche, but that's probably the one thing that uh, is a point of differentiation between uh, between myself and I think uh, some other people that frankly are smarter than me have better better skills, better whatever. It's uh, I was uh, I was comfortable being uncomfortable. I tried. So that, to is that the, is that the biggest advice you'll give to someone like yo, like man, he from where I'm from? I'm from off of Marcus and uh, you know Bessie. Like that's. Is that what you would give them, like, yo, be comfortable being a couple? Like, how, what would you tell them, the person that grew up where we came from, what would you tell them, you know, like, to, to get out of where yes, they are? It'd probably be two things, then. I would, I would probably do that, you know, yeah. be okay with being uncomfortable, do things out of your comfort zone. But probably the other one is, is uh, figuring out your narrative. Um, I actually just did a thing with the National Urban League uh, not too long ago where, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, um, black professionals, how can you, how can you, um, you know, basically improve your brand, your personal brand. And one of the things I talked about was selling a story. And I think a lot of times, you know, think about interviews you're going into or thinking about like, hey, I want to start this new business or I got a new project, I new whatever. Um, you're trying to sell something to a stakeholders. And I, I think a lot of people, especially people where we came from, always have this feeling of, hey, our our story isn't good enough, or we don't have the pedigree to, to, to do the same thing that other people can. And uh, if we were actually to take, a, take the therapy pause and, and look at our own story, we have the stories of resilience. We have the stories of being bold. We have the stories of, um, you know, uh, dreaming big and developing people and, uh, you know, all those things. So I think uh, it probably is, it's probably one of those deals that, that people are not spending enough time doing. And that probably my other piece of advice, take some time for yourself, look at all your accomplishments, write them down and create a narrative around, you know, next time someone says, why should we try your project? Or why should we, you know, hire you for this position? You've got a library in your head of all these examples of things that are authentic stories from you that, uh, and when you tell the story, they're going to be like, I don't know why we didn't think about you a long time ago. You know, so that's probably the other piece of advice. All right. So now it's time for our game part, uh, John. All right, man. This is that, you know, you, you, you know, you got two, you got two choices. 
And I'm, I catered these to, for ooh, John. Ooh, ooh, strictly. This, I catered these for John. <laughs> so I catered them for every guest. I catered them around their personality and who they are. So first up, Nas or Jay-Z? Jay-Z. Of course you would say. I knew you. I, I, I was trying to throw you a softball first. I knew you would say Jay-Z. All right, next up, Fresh Prince or Martin? Fresh Prince. Course, you would say fresh friends. <laughs> All right. This was gonna be an interesting one. So, would you rather have a million dollars straight up or fifty thousand a year for the rest of your life? <laughs> like I, I cut you a check for a meal right now, or you I'll say, like, yo, I'll give you 50 grand a, a year the rest of your life. Mill now. Because you want to be able to get that OPM going and you can go and flip yeah. that mill. That 50 grand ain't doing nothing for you to sitting there. I know it's doing a million dollars. Because you might die tomorrow. So like I might exactly. die tomorrow. And then now you ain't gonna pay me nothing. Or you might try to kill me with the other amount of money that you nah, I wouldn't would go that far, but yeah. I feel like I know what to do with a million dollars. Yeah, sorry. Next up, what is the best? This is an actual singular question. What is the best beer you've had from Anheuser Bush? Were you like beer called? Yeah, it's a beer called Brahma. It's only sold in uh, in the South American zone, but it's like it's a um, it's a um, it's kind of kind of got like more of a chocolate note. So it's it's a dark beer, chocolate note, uh, a lot more sweet um, than the typical beer. But I would I would definitely say Brahma. All right, sure. If you can imagine like a like a chocolate stout, but actually. Okay, I a little more style. sweet. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in that family. All right. If you didn't go to SLU, what other MCC school would you have went to? If you only could choose between the other four. <laughs> uh, dang. Man, I, I know. So I got I got a pride thing. Like I feel like I feel like this met just would be sacrilegious. Yep. I feel yep. like CBC. That's, like, all, that's off the table. Like, this off the table, right? Yep. So, so I you feel like you down to be and just like, just like I figured you. Yeah, it had to be Shamanai. What, what'd you pick? I, I was going to say Shamanai too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say Shamanai, like, because already two of them are off the top. Yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, Shamanai don't seem that bad. It's down the street from me. So it's like not that bad. Right. Um, so next up, this is a triple threat match. All right. So you got three choices. Boys yep. in the Hood, New Jack City, or Menace to Society? Boys in the Hood. Okay. You said that pretty quickly. I thought, I thought you would need a little bit more time with that one. Mm-hmm. All right. Since we talked about Biggie, Biggie or Tupac? Tupac. Okay. I'm, su- I'm surprised you said Tupac. I thought you would be on the Biggie route. <laughs> yep. All right. You know what I think it is? I, I feel like Tupac had a couple more... Um, uh, club bangers and therapeutic music. Like I actually got a, I got a meditation rap thing, you know, like I listen to and I feel like, I feel like I got more Tupac songs than I do Biggie songs. So if, if you had to take a vacation blindly, would you go to somewhere in Central America, Europe or Asia? Central America. Why Central America? Um, so interesting enough, 
when I was in Central America, um, the, the culture and the way that people are is very similar to the way black folks are. Like it's a big community, everybody shares, um, like people don't have much, but they, they know how to have a good time. Like it's just more the vibe where they, 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 they are people just a little shorter. <laughs> so, you know? Shout out to Shine. Shine's from Central America. I mean, that's yeah, basically yeah. Shine. Uh, so last one. What would you uh, let me let me let me package it right with, with what I'm saying here. So if you had to pick one other place to be besides the U.S. to live in perpetuity, but it's not a westernized country, where would it be? City or country? A uh, country. South Africa. Ooh. I want you to jump in this. I know you've been to South Africa. So talk about you because this fool right here, y'all, it was went to South Africa, South Africa, took his wife, right? Took his wife to South uh, South Africa. Did she know that you were going to be going hunting this stuff and then her trip was really yeah, yeah. so yeah. We, so you ain't you so, ain't spring her up on her and then you just got no, the, you no, out no. the bags like oh no 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 I'm just doing I mean, like, going like, to I the airport with like a bow and arrow, you kind of give it away. So, no, but you know, I can't be like, act like they not going to golf when they like, they go out of town with their wife or something like, no, 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 this is a little extra. I'm just going to do it one day. But the whole trip was a golfing trip for them on the line. No, nah, it wasn't one of those. We, we planned this one. We okay. planned that one. So uh, let's talk about the, the experience of the South Africa, especially hunting in South Africa, yo. Yeah, so, man, I'm not trying to get like super deep on it, but, but this is one of those, this is a mood. Um, it was super weird to me that as soon as I got, and so I went to Johannesburg, that's where we landed, mm-hmm. uh, went to Johannesburg and like immediately getting off the, the plane, you had like security and all this other kind of stuff. But as I'm like walking down the corridor, the Johannesburg airport is gigantic. It's like, it's like, you know, Washington Dulles. It's like, it's big, right? And I'm like looking, I'm like, hey, that dude look like Gary. <laughs> over here, like, dang. I do look like my cousin. It's super weird how like you you look around and you you instantly like feel that you like you're I don't know these people right, but you just like kind of felt like like you just knew people. You know what I mean? Um, so that that was a weird like kind of sensation. I was getting in my head and I'm like like let's keep going right. And then I remember getting in a car and uh, and we were uh, going. We had to go through like some cities. Um, some smaller cities before we get out into the actual, you know, safari land or whatever you want to call it. And as we're going through a lot of the neighborhoods, you saw neighborhoods that were similar where we grew up. Mm. Smaller homes, but then everybody is like on the porch. Like everybody on the porch, music playing, somebody next to a grill, got a little freaking towel around your neck. You know, you got the, you got the table with like the old heads. Um, you got the and they play dominoes too over there. They play dominoes playing dominoes, like like literally playing dominoes. So again, you got this image in your head of like, like man, this seems very familiar. But I think the thing that that touched me the most was so when I got there, there's not a lot of of black Western hunters. Period. So when I got there, I got a different level of like 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 you could tell like everybody was proud of me. Because it's an expensive trip, right? But, yeah. but when I got there, you could tell like the black people that were the 
So usually we're paired up with a professional hunter, which is a uh, usually like a Dutch guy, like these big German cats with like muscles on their neck. Like they're just huge. They like lift up wildebeest all day. And then you have this, uh, you know, indigenous black person, this, this very, you know, traditional skinny, more the Zulu style because they're in South Africa. So much more skinny, but they wearing like penny loafers, right? Um, with like a hunting shirt on, right? But they ain't got no other shoes, so they got penny loafers. But the they they literally and so they're trying to look professional a little bit with the penny loafers too, even though they should be wearing some. I, I, to be honest, I think that's the only shoes they got. Oh, okay. So I was thinking of like they didn't have enough shoes to be able to have different types, so they just want to. I'm pretty sure that's the only shoes they had. And they only had okay. you know few pants or whatever, and uh, uh, we would go out hunting and everything, and they know they craft like. You see the guy who's like, you know, they 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 talking and doing whatever, but I felt like they always were trying to educate me on like, like, hey, this is what we're looking for, this is the things. And and I felt like that was a very different experience than what other people were talking about. The trackers just tracked with other people. But with me, I felt like they were trying to teach me. And and there's this this connection of like I think that that they really trying to like in part on me, here's where my roots were, you know? Um, and I remember a moment where we had, we had got an animal and, uh, you know, grabbed a beer, they were cutting the animal and we would actually take the, the prime cuts from the animal and they barbecue it that night. And uh, I saw them taking the rest of the animal and they were cutting it in these like two inch by two inch cubes. And I was like, that's weird. And I was like, hey, you mind me asking like why y'all cut, cut it up? And they said, you know, today I went out and I got something with you, but tomorrow maybe we don't get something, but the other person does. Mm. He's like, in, in our culture, um, everybody eats. So we cut it into one inch by one inch by one inch or two inch by two inch cubes so that one, everyone gets the same, you know, size meat and then no one has a better cut. So they would take what was considered the ribeye and it'd be mixed with, you know, like the, the backstrap or mixed with the ham or mixed with whatever. It literally made everything into cubes and they mixed it up. Then everybody had a wooden bowl and they shared the bowl with each other. So everybody in the village went back and, and went to eat. Um, so you, you get in this moment, man, of like, like I'm doing all right financially. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a pretty good spot there. But like when you really think about what's important to you, it's really about bringing other people up. Right? It's yeah. really about making sure everybody else eat. And I think that's a, that's been the shift that I've experienced, you know, because of COVID, uh, I think is I got out of the mindset of, hey, get the next promotion, get the next job, keep moving up, keep moving up. And I've shifted everything I've been doing more to, um, you know, send the elevator back down uh, to everybody else and then bringing them back up. And I, that, that moment in Africa was one of those moments for me where I got clarity on this is, this is, uh, this is how the species survived. This is how our people survived. It wasn't by being a singled out person that's excelling that can say, oh, I got a yacht. It's trying to make sure everybody got a yacht. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, um, so yeah, that's, that was a really, really cool experience. I've been twice now. Um, I feel like I, I'm due for a reset, you know, <laughs> to go back again and get regrounded, you know, to those principles. But amazing experience. I actually took off my boots when I left there and I gave the guy my boots. And the second time I went, I took a bunch of my military uniform, bunch of boots, 
and actually donated to um, to all the uh, the African trackers uh, there. Oh, that is dope. They need it. I mean, you said they in penny loafers and they tracking with no yeah, boots man. on. And you out there, I know you feel, I know how you roll. And I got the, the high, <laughs> most high-tech gear, you know, everything. Night vision you goggles. Probably get, you got yeah, laser everything. goggles on. You can't even see nobody. Had everything. See, like, <laughs> had everything, right? And um, so, so, so is your wife with you while you doing all this? And like, you got the laser goggles and she got, you had the laser goggles for her too? Are you like, well, yo, so I was actually, um, <laughs> I was actually, uh, but so the, the goggles were for, it's called a servo. Um, but they had like these things called serval, which is like a, a cat, and then they had leopards. So we only we were only hunting in um, in uh, hyenas. So we only used it for like those those animals. I actually didn't get any, um, but uh, so I was out there during the nighttime. Hyena meat? No, I wasn't gonna eat it. I just want a hyena. Um, just so y'all can be like, yo, should we got a hyena, bro? Um, you got you got, like, you, got, got the, you, you, you caught you caught the people that killed Mustafa. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This is a this is a payback. But no, I was uh uh we were actually supposed to hunt them and then we're inside this ground blind, man. I'm hearing like I'm like, hey man, we good. I don't need this no more. So I was actually out, yeah, like, I actually went out to go hunt. Uh, so like, were the hyenas tracking y'all? You said basically? Well they just, I mean, there's no fences, bro. Like you just in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you're in the middle of nowhere. And like when the when the lights when when the sun go down, ain't no street lights. Like it's dark, dark, like dark, dark. And it's the only light you got is like your little flashlight. And that didn't feel like no protection at all. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like listening, literally to like lions in the distance. You know, you're hearing like like you know elephants and man. I was like, I was cool during the day. I felt like because we were. We were close to a vehicle and driving around doing all that stuff. I felt like I was cool there. But in the nighttime, man, I was like, nah, man, y'all got to take me back. So I ain't going to use these night vision goggles. I don't even need them. Man, I was, yeah. So I bought all this high-tech gear for the night vision <laughs> stuff. But uh, when I got out there, I was too scared, man. I was like, nah, nah I'm good on that. So I actually, I actually didn't even hunt during the night. But that was a plan. But we was like, mm-mm. So me and the wife, I actually got chased by ostrich at night because, like, we, we were hunting warthogs and uh, and literally um, I was like, man, I got to take a leap real quick. So I like went around the other side and I'm looking at distance. I'm like, man, it's a big old warthog over there. And it's like, and it's running towards me because it's like really light. I can't really see. And I'm like, that's a tall, I'm like, that's an ostrich. Dude, I was like, yo, it's an ostrich running at me. And it was like, man, ostrich ain't gonna run at you. I'm like, man, it's an ostrich. I jumped in the back of the Jeep. And the guy that was like, uh, this is an African dude, he was like, it is an ostrich, it's an ostrich. And like, he like literally take off. And I was like, I've been telling y'all that, it's an ostrich. So um, the ostrich must be, he must be running out for somebody else. Well, no, I think, I think you know, we were in his territory. So he was like, get out of here, you know? Oh, um, okay. He was trying to he take like actually hung with the Jeep for a hot second, for about like five, six seconds. He was like hanging with the Jeep. He was like right behind the Jeep, like trying to peck it. Um, and then the next day was like, yo, let's go hunt ostrich. You know, <laughs> I, I need get back. Voila. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, John, man, thank you for doing this, bro. Like, I super appreciate this, man. I super, super appreciate this, man. Where can people hit you up if they want a job or something? Or they or they just reach out to you? Yeah, man. You know what? LinkedIn is uh is probably the best, you know, form of contact. And, and like I said, I'm kind of in this headspace now where everything I'm doing, 
Uh, it's all about focusing on helping other people. So uh, people want help on career stuff. I'm, I'm happy to do that. You want me to give you some advice about, um, you know, hey, how can I present this project differently? Or, hey, they won't listen to my idea. Or you want to talk real estate, you know, anything like that. LinkedIn, hit me up. Uh, ain't no money involved. I just really want to help out people and send LA back down. Well, man, John, thank you once again, man. I do. This is super dope, man. I appreciate you coming on, dude. Like this. Is... All right, man. You need to go to the lake house. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, what's in the, uh, hold on. I will...